You're listening to Men of Abundance, episode 165, with Kristen Ivey. And today is just a phase, so don't miss it. Welcome to Men of Abundance, the podcast for those looking to level up their lives by hanging out with some of the greatest leaders and established professionals in our community, living a life of integrity, honor, and the abundance mentality. Prepare to pay it forward with your host, former army medic turned lifestyle entrepreneur, Wally Carmichael. What is amazing in your world today, men of abundance? I am Wally Carmichael, your founder and host of the Men of Abundance podcast, the Pay It Forward community. Today, we have an educator on the line, and you know me. I love, love, love talking about education. I love talking about the different types of education, where we get our education from, the importance of education, and the mindset around education. But even more importantly, since I still have a little guy going through the school system, I'm very interested in the school system and what we can do better about raising our children and educating our children in the areas that are important to them. Yes, them, not us, them. That's part of the conversation that Kristen and I have today. So if you know anybody who just might be remotely interested in this conversation, make sure you're abundant in your actions today by paying it forward and sharing this episode with others, especially those you care about. And of course, if you're listening to this on the website at menofabundance.com, right under the podcast player there, there's an iTunes button and there's a leave a review button. Click on either of those so that you can have the opportunity to leave a review for Men of Abundance for others to find. And what that does in iTunes is it pushes Men of Abundance up in the search bar so that when anybody's looking for anything as far as helping men live better lives, abundance, living a life of abundance, I don't know who's going to specifically type that, but hey, maybe somebody will. If they do, they're going to find Men of Abundance directly. But when they're searching for anything to have to do with men living better lives, when you leave Men of Abundance a rating and review, they have that much more of a chance of finding this podcast and finding these messages that we're sharing with the world. And I personally greatly appreciate it. Now I'm going to introduce you to our featured guest, but stick around at the end where as usual, I'm going to leave you with my thoughts about this conversation. Our featured guest today, Kristen Ivey, is the Executive Director of Messaging at Orange and the Director of the Phase Project. She and her husband, Matt, are currently parenting their three amazing children through the phases. Before beginning her career at Orange in 2006, Kristen earned her Bachelor's of Education from Baylor University in 2004 and a Master's in Divinity from Mercy University in 2009. She worked in the public school system as a high school biology and English teacher, where she learned firsthand the joy and importance of influencing the next generation. At Orange, Kristen has played an integral role in the development of the elementary, middle school, and high school curriculums, and has shared her experiences at speaking events across the country. Kristen is co-author of Playing for Keeps, Creating a Lead Small Culture, It's Just a Phase, and Zero to One. Men of Abundance, it is my pleasure to introduce you to Kristen Ivey. Kristen, welcome to Men of Abundance. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. It's good to be here. Well, thank you. Where are you at in the world? I'm in Atlanta, Georgia. Oh. Uh, yeah. Nice. So I think yeah, my son's I'm down in t- Georgia right now. Oh, really? Where in Georgia? He's at Fort Stewart. Okay. Yeah. 
that's a little bit south of us, mm-hmm. I think. But yeah. Yeah, and I've been to Atlanta. I like Atlanta. It's it's a pretty mm-hmm. neat place to hang out. Yeah. It's great time, especially this time of year. Yeah. Yeah, my wife was my wife is in Florida right now with my other two boys and she drove down uh, to visit with Dylan, my oldest. I call him D1 because all my boys are D or start with D. So it's <laughs> D1, D2, and D3. We still get them all mixed up though. But um, she drove down with the other two boys down to Georgia, and it was an experience. She they hadn't been down there before. My middle son had. He went and visited for a couple of weeks. Yeah, well, it's great right now. <clears throat> where leaves are changing, temperatures are cooling off. It's kind mm. of fun. Nice, very nice. So before we get started here, I like to start the show out basically the same way I start out every single morning, just like I did this morning, which is with an attitude of gratitude. What do you have to be grateful for today, Kristen? Mm, I am grateful for my family and for just time that the times that we have together and, you know, the ups and the downs that we get to share. So I have three kids. There are eight six and two and so just our house getting to be filled with giggles and whines alike i can imagine man you know we were talking before we got started here on the show and you know and uh, we were talking about the age or i don't know if it was during the show or not i've already lost track <laughs> but yeah my boys are quite spread out uh, 22 18 and 8 and they're very spread out but to have that that close together has just got to be super exciting. So much stuff going on. It's definitely got a lot going on. <laughs> for sure. And, you know, it's kind of cool because it's it's perfect for what we're going to talk about here and, and how, you know, kind of working through the phases. In fact, that's, you know, one of your books that you've written is it's just a phase. And I just can't wait to get into this. But before we get into all of that, I talked a little bit about what you have going on, what you're doing professionally. But here at Men of Abundance, we really like to get to know the abundance behind the person, the greatness, and and really get personal. So if you could tell us a little bit about yourself, and uh, let's get a little bit personal. Uh, Let's see. Well, I am, um, like I said, a mother of three. Um, I guess in my life. I've grown up mostly between Texas and Georgia. I've taught, I've been a teacher in the public school system for a while, left teaching um, to go back and get a master's and start working in a nonprofit organization that really helps kids and teenagers. So that's just a little bit about me. Um, getting personal, what do you want to know? <laughs> <laughs> so so what got you into education? What intrigued you about getting into education in the first place and then kind of go into why is it that you moved away from the traditional education and more into what you're doing now? You know, I got into education because it was just in me. And as I get to know more and more teachers, I love teachers. Um, I think I will always um, just be drawn to the people who are in the classroom. And um, there was something that just kept pulling me that direction. I was in college and I didn't really know what I wanted to to do with the rest of my life. That's always been the hardest question to answer, right? And so I was in taking pre-med classes, studying biology, loved biology. I was also had a major in English. Um, I was studying religion. I was a little bit of here and there and all over the place. Um, but something just really, really drew me into the classroom and teaching and especially working with teenagers, which was where I ended up um, teaching teenagers. And I remember when I actually told my parents that that's what I was going to do. It was my dad in particular who was just 
kind of appalled. He was like, just don't do that. Do anything else. He kept trying to talk me out of it. Um, and, you know, I think if you're wired to be in the classroom and engaged with students, um, there's something about just the opportunity to speak encouragement into a kid's life and um, to shape their future that's very compelling. Yeah, I can see that. What was it a, specifically that your dad wasn't liking about the uh, career path <laughs> that you were taking? Oh, I don't know. If, I don't know if it was the salaries or I don't know if it was that he thought I would get worn out quickly. Um, I don't know. Um, you know, it's a hard profession. Um, it's unlike anything else. Most adults in the world don't choose a profession where their life is going to be dictated by a bell and they don't have, they don't get the opportunity to, you know, use the restroom without, you know, calling in a sub. Um, there's, there's just a whole lot of parts to it that, you know, you pay to wear your own blue jeans on a Friday. You know, that's just, that's not normal for most adults. Yeah, that's a very good point. And then, you know, specifically with teenagers, you know, it's hit or miss. I mean, you've got some that are do super well in the classroom <laughs> and some like myself who really do not. <laughs> well, and a lot of adults that, you know, when you're working with teenagers, middle schoolers and high schoolers, a lot of adults will look at you kind of like you're crazy. Like, are you choosing to spend time around uh, this, these kids? And, uh, you know, just like anybody else, those ages come with a lot of quirks and personality traits. And um, there's just a lot of, uh, hormones and emotions and, and drama, but some of it's also really endearing and there's life and excitement and idealism and, uh, you know, just a lot of fun too. Yeah. Yeah. I can definitely see that. I've always enjoyed teaching those who want to learn. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that, that, that's, I mean, obviously, you know, that's just, that's the best of everything. I mean, that really is because you're, you're, sharing your knowledge and you're sharing your wisdom and your experiences and all that kind of stuff with people who really cherish that and really want that. Most teenagers aren't really in that point. I certainly wasn't. I was cocky. I knew everything there was to know in the world and nobody else could teach me anything otherwise. <laughs> right, um, right. You know, uh, until I realized that, you know, one thing I know for sure is I don't know, I know a fraction of what I'm going to learn in life. Yeah, but, that's part of the age, right? I mean, you you know everything when you're a teenager. You get somewhere into your 20s or 30s and you realize maybe there's a few things you didn't know. Um, but, yeah, that's just kind of fun. Yeah, and for me it wasn't until late in my 30s, I think, or somewhere <laughs> in the middle there. <laughs> yeah. Fortunately, I had an amazing wife who is just – she's just the complete opposite of me as far as academics is concerned. And the poor thing, she's so frustrated with me and my boys because they're just like I am in the classroom. <laughs> oh, I feel so bad for her. I didn't tell her all of this before we got married, of course. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's amazing. So how is it that you ended up doing what it is you're doing now with, you know, with Orange? And, I, you know, I, ever since I uh, interview Valet introduced us and I started looking into what you were doing and I saw your website here, it's beautiful. It's just a phase. Uh, so don't miss it. You've got your book. You've got Orange. You've got several books here you've written and co-written and Orange. So how did all of that come about? Well, um, as I left the classroom and got a master's, I started working for this nonprofit organization. The goal was to create resources that would help leaders engage kids and teenagers of all ages. And so um, I dove right in and was excited about that. I've always loved writing. And so I got, I got to write and create and work around a team of creatives. And 
that was a lot of a lot of fun. And um, I began to get frustrated with a, a number of things, really. But one of one of them is as I look around our culture at a lot of professions that work with kids and teenagers, I began to realize that the adults who are in those professions have their own job performance and their own job performance is typically measured not by what they are doing as adults, but really by how a kid performs. And so we have this system that's set up in such a way that in almost every area of a kid's world, their performance is an indicator of how well the, jo- the adult in their world is actually performing on the job. And so um, kids in our world and in our culture begin to feel tremendous pressure in every aspect of their life that they have to perform in order for an adult to feel successful. That's true in the classroom. Um, as schools are measuring whether or not it's a good school, whether or not this is a good teacher, um, this is how they get funding, you know, based on a kid's performance on tests. This is also true um, in athletics and on the field. Our coaches are, you know, are judged based on how well their teams perform. So in every aspect of a kid's life, there's there tends to be a lot of pressure on not necessarily the kind of things that are important for them to grow and become um, strong, thriving human beings, but really on an immediate, how are you going to perform right now in the moment? And so there's this immediacy, there's this urgency um, that isn't necessarily geared toward looking at the big picture of a person's life, especially in the formative years, you know, from birth through 18. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I'm just going to use myself because it just um, really proves a point there is, you know, I didn't learn my times tables until I was in sixth grade. And the only Mm -hmm. reason why I learned it was because of Mr. McGuire, who was a science-based teacher. He did a lot of experiments. He was a character, to say the least. And most of the teachers that I remember were just that. They were entertainers and characters. I mean, they were just Mm -hmm. the most bigger-than-life type of people. And you know, you could gauge my learning ability by giving me a test at that point, but it wasn't saying anything about where I was going to be in life later. Right. And right. here and I am many years later. I think I'm doing pretty darn good. And <laughs> But they wouldn't have been able to know that back then, you know. Right. I still don't know ago. my times tables. <laughs> hey, and I've, yeah, I learned them up to a certain point. I think maybe five, maybe five or six complete, but... <laughs> Yeah, I have a calculator on my phone. So far, that's been all I need in my adult world, right? But there's so many other things that are important and crucial for our kids to really be learning and experiencing um, in their early years. And sometimes those are the things that we can't really measure on, uh, you know, on a test and we can't measure it in a performance review. And so it's hard for us to see it. And also, I think we fail sometimes to really step back and go, hey, look, like, this kid is going to grow up into an adult. And so we need to be thinking not only about this particular moment, this snapshot in their life, but a bigger picture of what's happening um, over the years as they're growing up. Yeah, and it's a hard thing to deal with, especially, you know, we both have kids of that age. My, My youngest is eight. And as my as I already mentioned, my two oldest, my oldest was was the roughest. He was the one that we really had issues with, even in preschool and all through school. And finally, it was the fourth or fifth grade. 
he ended up having a teacher who had ADHD. Now, many teachers throughout our, our raising our boys uh, tried to diagnose both my oldest with ADHD and you know, they're teachers. I'm not taking anything away from them, but they're saying, you know, your kid's got ADHD. So we'd take him to child psychologist and said, no, it's just a boy and he's rambunctious and that's just who he is. But until the fourth or fifth grade, my oldest had this teacher who had adult ADHD and she set the classroom up completely different than anything I'd ever seen. She set it up so that, uh, the the kids could basically sit wherever they wanted to. They could sit on the rug. They could sit in a beanbag. They had their own pillow they brought from home as long as they were paying attention. And mm-hmm. they were allowed to get up and walk around, especially the boys. Boys can't sit. And it was this type of creativity that really got him to the point to where he actually excelled that year. And mm-hmm. he calmed down. And he she understood that. And I, I only bring that up because, like you said, with the testing, the way that she tested him – was the way that he learned, which mm-hmm. was she allowed him, for instance, let's say that it was a study on Native Americans, mm. and he couldn't write about it. He wasn't able to express himself that way. So she allowed him to do like a mock-up, like a model, so and then talk about it. And she said, okay, yeah, you understand the material. You're learning. That was the intent. Mm. Why well, are you learning? So these tests, these standardized tests, they really do a disservice to many of the kids because one in the classroom they make them they made me feel stupid mm-hmm. and i knew i wasn't and i knew i was right. learning this stuff i just couldn't express myself the way other students could right i think one of the things that uh, we really try um, to help every parent and every leader begin to do is exactly what you were just talking about is beginning to see a child um, for who they are because each child is an individual. And so getting to know them is the pathway to learning. If you want to help a kid learn something new or move forward in discovering whether it's math or science or reading, or maybe it's social intelligence, maybe it's learning empathy, maybe it's learning patience or sharing or generosity or honesty or any of the things that you're wanting to help shape um, in a kid's life. All of those things begin with us as adults pausing um, to take time to really understand who we're talking to and who we're working with. Because if you don't understand your audience, you don't know how to speak to them and the language that they're going to be able to hear. And so often we want to take it as like a a mass approach. We're just going to make sure that we demand that they learn the thing or that they behave a certain way uh, without pausing to consider who they are and what their Mm -hmm. needs are today and Uh, how to meet their needs in a way that opens them up to hear the thing that we want them to hear. Right, because everybody has genius in them. Some are sports geniuses, some are musical geniuses, some are mathematicians, English, writing. But my thing is, is what I try to do with with my boys, and specifically Tracy, my wife, uh, we try to expose them to as many different experiences as possible so that they can see their their genius anything outside of gaming you know i mean even gaming i mean it it it, that that has its place as well and i've read quite extensively about how games play a huge role in your learning um the learning process so there's so many games out there and stuff like that but once you find that 
it just what aggravates me about the the system the way it's designed now is it's a requirement to learn like my genius when i was in school the only subject i really really loved was anatomy and physiology i didn't Mm. do well in biology but i did great in anatomy and physiology even through my adulthood which is why i became became an army medic uh, because i really Mm. excelled in that but anything outside of that algebra, geometry, I could do regular math fine. You know, in pharmaceutical calculations, I was excellent at it because it's just, it's math. Anything of algebra, geometry wasn't my strong point at all. I barely got through that in college. And I find that I'm a great writer. I didn't care much for writing, but I find that I'm a pretty good writer uh, as per my grades anyway. <laughs> you know, I did get pretty good grades, but it just aggravates me when we're forcing our children to learn things that we know that they're not going to excel at because I'm a big believer in improving your strengths and hiring somebody else or, or having somebody else do those things that you're weaker at. Sure. That's why I have that calculator on my phone, right? right? (laughs) Learn my times tables because math is not one of those areas for me. Um, You know, that's true. Um, Even just in parenting, sometimes um, it, it, as parents, we all intend to do that and to know our own kids. Um, but it's easy to just, we want them to succeed. You know, we want them to win at life. Every parent wants their kid um, to be happy, to have healthy relationships, to be able to self-support them, you know, in, you know, so they can, can go out and make a living and live on their own. And so in all of our well intentions, it's so easy um, to just get sidetracked when we see our kids not succeeding at something or struggling really hard with something to keep that perspective that they are a whole person. And, you know, if it's not, um, if maybe learning Shakespeare isn't their primary area of excellence, that that's going to end up being okay for them. They can learn what it means to work hard while they're working on it, and they can take away some skills in terms of just what it means to push through, what it means to work through a difficult circumstance without there having to be an emphasis on you must get an A in you know studying Macbeth. I mean, there's, there's just a perspective there, I think, that, that you're wise to point out that we have to consider the whole child um, in any and every circumstance and just reorient ourselves over and over again to go what is actually primary here what does the future look like what is the thing that they need to be learning right now um, just to set them up to be a, a strong and thriving adult yeah yeah absolutely yeah I'm, I just love I love having this conversation uh, especially with an educator who has so much experience in this now all of the things that you've done, and we've talked about some of it so far, and we're going to get much more into it uh, just because I'm always so intrigued in, in what it is that you're doing in education in itself and how we can talk to our, the, you know, anybody out there who's listening and learn myself how to continue raising my boys because it never stops, and myself from my own personal education. But along the way, we all have these kick-in-the-gut moments, and some of them are greater than others, but it's all a matter of perspective. But I would love for you to share one of those kick-in-the-gut moments that you've had in your life and really make us feel that. A kick-in-the-gut moment, a moment that was um, tough in my own life. Most of those were not um, professional for me. I would say if I were to go back in my life to the lowest or most challenging moments, they were a lot more personal. Um, I think back to when I was growing up, I I was probably around the age of, 12 I think um, 
when there was a Christmas morning that my parents separated. Uh, eventually led to their divorce, but that was when they uh, told us, I guess, when it all kind of came to a finalization for them. Um, so that was a challenge in my life. As I got older, um, moments that were hard for me, we discovered that my niece was, um, my my sister and I are very close, and my sister is four years younger than me, and when she was 20 weeks pregnant, we discovered um my niece had a very highly severe chromosomal abnormality um, and and walking with them through the process of what that was going to look like. And eventually um, we, we lost my niece um, and had uh, one of the hardest kind of seasons of life, I think, walking together through losing a child um, that we never really had the chance to know. Um, I think about my aunt's cancer that she battled for years and years and years and coming alongside of her watching her struggle with that. I think for over 15 years, she had um, recurring cancer. And so some of those, I guess, would be kick in the gut moments when you start going, wow, this life is harder than I realized, you know, it's sometimes the hurts run deeper than we know how to talk about. And uh, I think in each one of those scenarios, I guess the kick in the gut for me is really coming face to face with what grief looks like, that you can read about something in a book and, and think you understand it until you experience uh, something in life that, that you can't control, that's so far beyond your control and yet uh, just interrupts your world in an extreme way. You know... I can definitely uh, empathize with that because I've dealt with a couple of those myself. And, But the question that I have for you is based off of what I believe in anyway is is things happen for us, not to us. Um, what did you really take away from all that? You talked a little bit about you know going through the experience and stuff like that, but how do you feel about that and what do you feel that that's done for you and kind of guiding you on your path to where you're at now? I think... The only thing I could say to that is realizing that um, maybe two things. Uh, one is just the importance for all of us to need other people who we can invite into those deep moments. And you find out who you know that can really um, that can really connect with you on an, a different level when you're going through grief. And so it's important to have those people in your life. It's sometimes almost unbearable to go through a situation where you're really grieving when when you feel alone um, and you feel angry that maybe nobody else can understand or nobody else can relate or connect. Um, just to have a few people in your life that you can get into that kind of gut-wrenching, honest place with um, that we all need community. We all need each other. And I think also just an awareness um, maybe of what it takes to recognize when somebody needs you. I, I think to come alongside of other people as they're going through that, I think it changed maybe my approach to know, you know, what it takes. Sometimes there's just nothing you can say in those moments. And so um, being careful with uh, words when you're trying to help somebody out who's going through uh, a grieving process, but also to just be present and to be present in some of the simplest, simplest ways to show up with a meal, um, to show up and, and say, hey, I would love to just do a load of your laundry if that's okay, to 
to offer some really basic uh, suggestions and solutions to everyday life uh, for somebody when they're when they're in that place. Very well said. Very well said. It's those basic things that that help out the most, like coming over and doing the laundry. It, it, yeah. <laughs> I'm kind of laughing, but it's because I've been there before and I know exactly what you're talking about. And really, it kind of ties into the whole process of one of your books. It's just a phase. Phase. Let's talk about that for just a minute. Who is that for? Because it's it's just a phase, so don't miss it. So that would imply to me that it's really kind of for the, the educators and the parents raising the children. But does it also play into the children as far as showing them the various phases and, and teaching them resiliency so that they can live through stuff like this and get through it easier later on in life? Yeah, so the idea for phase um, came for us about five years ago. And so it's been a progression of a project, really. Um, to every adult who is around a kid, which is pretty much every adult. And so to say, there's something unique about the first 936 weeks of life. If you were to go, the day that a child is born, if you were to count up the number of weeks between that day and their 18th birthday, it would be 936. And so we say those weeks just matter in a different way than um, any others because they do lay a foundation. They are formative. Mm -hmm. Um, I can go into all kinds of uh, biology and brain chemistry and, and those things that kind of support that claim. Um, but our idea was so often people say to parents, it's just a phase. And what they mean is just get through this, just, you know, grit your teeth. And in a few years, it'll be different. You won't have to worry about their tantrums anymore. Um, but we wanted to reclaim that phrase in a way to say to adults, actually, it's just a phase. And there's something important that's happening in this phase that you don't want to miss. Mm. Not because in this kind of mushy way you would miss an opportunity to create a memory with them, but really in a tangible and real sense, there are opportunities in this phase of your child's life that really matter for their future. And you don't want to miss those opportunities because then they might miss out on something that they need um, as they're growing into the adult that they're going to become. And so there are distinctive opportunities, for example, with your three-year-old while they're three that will no longer exist when they're four or when they're five or when they're eight. And so you really need to understand what's happening and what's changing, what's going on in your kid's world right now so that you can leverage those opportunities to make the most of them as they grow. And so this has been an ongoing project, and um, we say that every kid is changing in six ways, and so we, we want adults to really understand what ways they're changing um, and that they need kind of different things as they're growing up uh, for us to begin to leverage those key opportunities. Yeah, I 100% agree with that. I've done some reading on that and and what you're talking about with the chemical you know chemicals in the brain and their learning process at that point in time it's absolutely brilliant and i'm glad that you are doing something with this it makes a big difference i'm sure and speaking of that what are some good news stories that you've gotten out of this so far out of your work uh based on everything that you're doing with phase and orange and and everything else for the parents and for the children uh, you know, it's been fun. One of the things that we encourage parents to do that kind of sounds depressing at first is to take a jar in your home and fill it with 936 marbles. Uh, you can use something else other than marbles. I saw the other day a parent posted rocks that they've used, like these little pebbles, and it, it was another kind of beautiful way to showcase this. But um, 
And if you fill the jar with 936 and then you subtract however many weeks your kid has already lived, so you have the total number of weeks remaining, then just remove one marble every week. Um, it becomes a simple reminder to you that your weeks are numbered, that they are really predetermined for you. You aren't going to be able to add more weeks um, into the mix, and time is moving at this steady pace. And time is the one thing that we sometimes um, forget about. We don't think about it. Um, but if you begin to bring it to the front of your mind and say, okay, here is another week with my kid, and I have this opportunity this week to do something with it, um, you can even put together some kind of a, uh, a practice around removing that marble or removing that rock from the jar, but something that just kind of is a statement to you to pay attention and remember that your kid is growing up and they're growing up maybe faster than you realize. Um, that has been really fun to hear the stories of parents embracing that practice in their home. I have three jars of marbles in my own home. And um, at first I remember when they were really young and I thought that just sounds kind of depressing. Like I don't need another reminder to see that my time is limited. I feel busy. I feel like I can't get it all done. It's also been powerful to kind of see it's it's not that every moment has to matter or every moment has to be a teachable moment or we have to do something intentional all the time because it's the collection of weeks over time that really has the power and the potential to give a kid a better future. That's a very interesting perspective because I was thinking the same thing. It is kind of depressing thinking, wow, I'm <laughs> limited time with this little guy. You know, but it, it goes on after that. It's just a matter of the that, that time frame that you're talking of specifically that has the most impact on really the rest of their life. Right. And actually, the interesting thing is when you when you peel back, you know, the layers of what it means to help a kid grow up in, in the early years, the most significant things that an adult can do for a child or give to a child are so often much, much smaller than we think they are. So each week doesn't need to have this like big Pinterest moment, something that you want to post on social media and take a picture of and showcase to the world. Those things are fine, but they're maybe not the most important. Some of the most important things are really the simple acts that we repeat every day, whether that's, you know, just an encouraging word every time that you wake your child up to start their day with some positivity, um, whether that's tucking them in at night or being present in their room as they go to bed at night so that um, there's a relational connection at the end of the day or whatever that is, but it's the little things sometimes week after week that become routine in the home that add up over time that really actually have uh, the greatest significance. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I definitely agree with that. So, Kristen, we're at the point where we're going to pay it forward to our abundant leaders. You ready to do that? Sure. Sounds great. Excellent. So share one to three actionable steps that men of abundance can take today. Um, I would say one is to whichever kids are in your life, whether you're parenting them, whether you're volunteering and leading them, or maybe it's a, a niece, a nephew, um, some kid who you can you would identify and say they uh, they know me and I'm important to them in their life. Uh, write down their names to keep in front of you so that you know the names of a few kids that you are going to invest in uh, because kids need adults who will show them what it looks like to become an adult. And the next step, I think, is to pause every so often to put yourself in their shoes 
to empathize with where they are, to discover something new about them. Especially if you're parenting, this can be a tricky thing to put into practice because so often as parents, we make the mistake of assuming we know our children best because we've known them their whole life long. Um, We see their repeat behaviors. Uh, We think we understand them better than anybody. And yet your kid is changing and they are becoming somewhat new. And sometimes they're becoming someone new faster than, than you can keep up with or realize. And so to set aside some time to try to rediscover them, who they are today, uh, pretend like you've never met them before, pretend like you're meeting them for the first time and try to get to know who they are, what makes them laugh, what makes them frustrated, what excites them in life, um, just to rediscover who they are. And then lastly, I would just say uh, to do something just to have fun and connect with that kid or that teenager so that you can play together and have fun together, even if there's no agenda attached. Um, Because one of the things that matters most is that we have some time to just play, uh, to just have fun for the sake of having fun, um, to stay connected to each other. And it's through having fun and through playing together that we really begin to build um, the relationships that we need for everything else. Wow, that's that's very powerful. That's excellent. And sometimes I will add, <laughs> they're they're growing up, and we don't want them to grow up anymore. I, I know my little guy. <laughs> I wanted him to stop growing yeah. when he was five, and right. now after raising the other two boys, sometimes we fail to realize that he's only eight. <laughs> yeah, you know, when we put things yeah. on him, and we're thinking, why are you not understanding this? Why are you? And mm-hmm. he's eight. You know, he's not mm-hmm. like the other two yep. that already you know already came before him. So. Yeah. No, that's the, that's the trick of it. I mean, that is what makes this project um, for us so important And because I, I find that in my own life all the time. I forget the ages of my kids. Either I, I think that they're a little bit older than they are and I can't figure out why they can't handle the responsibility that I'm placing on them right now or I think that they're still, you know, three years younger than they are because I've forgotten that they've grown up significantly since then. You know, if you've ever had that moment when you go, no, they can't do that. And then you look over your shoulder and they're doing it. And you're going, wow, when did you learn When did you learn how to do that? Um, it, it's tricky sometimes just to remember where a kid is. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I find it challenging for sure, but it's all a learning process for all of us. You know, this next question, normally I ask what daily habits make the biggest impact in your life. And while I certainly do want to know that as a parent and as an educator, I would also like for you to share with us any habits that you feel would really make an impact in our children's lives. Yeah, and those might be one and the same. For me, I think the habits are some that I kind of referenced earlier of just um, trying to start their day with an encouraging word. Um, Whenever I go in to wake my kids up and it's way too early for both of us and I'm not a morning person, so, you know, my nature would be to be really grouchy, but trying to just say something positive and upbeat and happy um, at the start of the day, uh, the habit of tucking them in or being present in their room at night so that there's a relational connection, um, trying to have the practice of whenever we're in the car, um, that we're not always disengaged from each other. Technology has made it so easy for uh, me to be on the phone or you know, talking to someone else, engaged in another conversation, but for there to be moments in the car when we're actually talking to each other. Um, and connecting, but looking for the rhythms of the day, I think, when you can connect with each other is probably the biggest practice. 
I like that, looking for the rhythms of the day. So what are you reading or listening to that you would recommend to our abundant leaders and why? If I'm really honest, right now I'm not reading anything because I'm trying to keep up with the rest of my life. So I haven't had a chance to read very much recently. Um, and and I, I totally have, get that. I, I totally get that. Now um, I talk to I've talked to some folks that say I don't read because I know my craft. I know my yeah. skill. I don't want anybody else screwing that up. Type of thing. <laughs> I do read a lot. The thing I was thinking to say would be around these phase guides that we just released, but it's not something I've I've read. It's something I've recently written. And that works too. That's yeah, that works too because that's what I was going to say. In fact, is you know you're you've got several books that you've either written or co-written. Uh, the thing that that we've just released that I'm actually most excited about requires very little reading because I know in my own life I love to read. I have always been a reader, but sometimes it's hard to find the time to do it, time Mm -hmm. to read. And so what we've actually just released uh, is a series of 18 books, but books is really um, maybe a generous word for it. They're they're guides. They're kind of um, a mix between a a book and a journal and they're written to really give just the very basic ideas of how every kid is changing at every phase. And so there's 18 of them. So any parent can pick up the book that's, that goes along with the age of their child right now. And it would help guide them through some activities, some questions and some high point ideas to help them rediscover their child today. Um, So I'm really excited to put those in the hands of parents because they're quick reads, they're easy, um, and they take what we've discovered from child development and educators and leaders who really are experts in this field and boil it down to just the most important, biggest ideas that you need to know that are kind of true about every kid in this phase and also um, walk you through some exercises to help get to know what's unique about your kid right now in this phase. Wonderful. Yeah, thanks for sharing that because that's exactly what I find that most of the listeners and myself are looking for are not just, yeah, that's great. That's very inspirational, uh, good information, but what's next? We need that step by step. These are really practical. Like we uh, went through a few years ago and distilled down six things we think every kid needs at every phase. Um, and you know, I could go through, there's some of that list, but one of those is fun over time that gives them a sense of connection. And so we isolated for every phase of a kid's life, the games you can play and the ways that you can have fun with them. Uh, every kid at every phase needs stories that will help shape their perspective. And so the guides come with a reading list, a book list that could work for them in this phase, just suggestions to get you started. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's words that every kid needs at every phase to help set their direction. And that's just scripted out for um, any leader, any parent to go, okay, here's a few things that I could just say um, right now that would make an impact in my kid's life. So uh, it's super practical, really, really easy guide to use right now. And where can we find that at? Those are available on Amazon or you can go to phaseguides.com and it'll point you in a direction where you can get those. Perfect. I'll have all that linked up at menofabundance.com. Just look for that, guys. I'm going to have that linked up in there, and I'm looking forward to getting a hold of that as well. So, Kristen, what do you feel holds most people back from living a life of true abundance? And you can include this as far as the what holds the children back as well. Um, what holds us back from living a life of abundance? Oh, I think it's the urgency. Um, we live in a fast-paced culture, 
Um, everything's moving quick and there's always a sense of what's urgent to get done right now. And it's not always what's important and it's not always what's life giving. And it's not always what I would call, uh, leads to abundance, you know? And so we get drawn into having to do the things that feel like we have to do them and we forget to do the things that, uh, really may matter most. You have an example of that? Um, you know, in my own kids' lives, I would say it's probably, and in, in my life as a parent, it's uh, filling out all the forms and getting all of the, you know, just this morning I woke up and was ordering school photos. They came home in their class folders <laughs> yesterday and the due date was today. And so it's just the the urgent of I've got to drive them to school, pack their lunch, order the school photos, make sure they're signed up for swimming, you know, whatever it is. And I'm checking off box after box after box in my head. Um, and sometimes uh, we just have to go, you know what? Maybe it's important for us to just not go to that thing or to not participate in, in whatever this is, but just to have a day that we're going to uh, be lazy together and just have fun and make a mess and we'll let the laundry be dirty and we'll let the mess in the kitchen stay for a minute and we're just going to enjoy each other and go outside and and run around. Wow, so there are other households like mine. (laughs) (laughs) Who'd have thunk it? I thought we was the only ones that acted like that. That sounds sounds so familiar. So what does living a life of abundance mean to you, Kristen? Uh, For me, it's being present for the people who are closest to me rather than just accessible to the world. Uh, The more accessible to the world I am, the busier things get, and I find myself less able to just be present in in the room that I'm in right now. Man, that's a huge message right there, guys. I hope you really listened to that. If you didn't, there's a rewind button on your podcast player. Rewind about 15 seconds and listen to that one again. It's super powerful. Kristen, we're going to close this up. But before we do, what did we not talk about that you'd like to ensure that our abundant leaders get out of our conversation? Oh, I don't know. I think we've covered a lot, right? We've gone, we've gone to a lot of we places. Did. It's been a fun conversation. Absolutely. I think so, too. And I truly appreciate your time. I'm going to have everything that we talked about linked up in the show notes at menofabundance.com, along with your books, your website, all that other amazing stuff. Is there any other way that we can, that you'd like for our abundant leaders to get in touch with you? Uh, you can follow me on Instagram or Twitter. I'm Kristen underscore Ivy. And no, that's about it. Perfect. I'll have all that linked up. And I greatly appreciate your time and your wisdom and your knowledge. And thanks for sharing all that with us. Well, thank you for getting up so early this morning. My pleasure. It definitely is. Now I'll see what I've already got some coffee in me. So and I, these <laughs> conversations are like coffee in itself. So there's no way I would I could try to go back and get another hour of sleep. So I might as well just go ahead and get a workout in. <laughs> Sounds great. All right. Aloha. Aloha. All right, two things I get from this conversation, guys, and that is, one, you know how I feel about education and how I don't like putting our kids in a box. I don't like that at all. I don't like putting my own boys in a box. I want them to excel in the areas they are genius at, that they feel comfortable excelling in. Enough about that. You've heard me talk about that enough. The other thing that I really like about this conversation is the whole idea of phases, enjoy the phase. That's what living a life of abundance to me is all about, is living in the moment, 
living through those phases, not missing those phases, being as engaged in each one of the phases as you possibly can. Now, I, so, I know sometimes your careers and your jobs get in the way and just doing the things you have to do to keep the household running. Sometimes that stuff gets in the way and you can't be there every waking moment. But do what you can to make the time to be in those phases, not just for your kids, but for your spouse as well. It's extremely important. Now, go out and live your life of abundance and make sure to pay it forward. That's all for today, Abundance Leaders. For more about our guests and the powerful information we shared with you today, be sure to sign up for our mailing list at menofabundance.com. We appreciate your time and look forward to hanging out with you on our next episode. So until then, be sure to pay it forward and live your life of abundance.